Well, for those of you who weren't with us last week, it's great to be back ministering with you. I gave a quick update on my dad, who has Alzheimer's. We placed him in a nursing home in Lake Zurich, Illinois. And I reported uh, last week that uh, two weeks ago, <coughs> excuse me, he fell and landed on the back of his head and went into the hospital uh, for five days. Well, eventually, he went back to the nursing home. And then this week, on Wednesday, I got a call at 4.30 in the morning saying that he had fell again in the same way and again opened up his head. And uh, so he went into the hospital. And I later found out that they were going to have to do brain surgery uh, to drain some of the blood that was putting pressure on his brain. So went over there, spent some time with him and talked with him, and there was an unusual clarity uh, in the midst of his confusion about him going into surgery. And he said, well, do you think I'm going to make it? I said, oh, Dad, sure you're going to make it. I talked to the doctor, uh, relatively simple procedure for brain surgery. Uh, so I assured him and everything, and uh, so I finally got into surgery around 7 o'clock at night, and then I was there when he came out of the recovery room at 10 p.m. My dad's been very confused uh, recently uh, since he's made all these different transitions and there's not a lot of clarity there. <clears throat> so when he uh, got out of surgery and I went to his bedside, I said, Dad, you know, uh, you're doing really well. Uh, surgery uh, went wonderfully and uh, you're going to recover. And the first thing out of his mouth was thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And it just uh, it really touched me because uh, my dad is not very clear sometimes. <laughs> and uh, there was a moment of clarity that God gave him to give glory to God, to worship Him for what He had done in his life, and there were nurses around and things of that nature, and you never know how that stuff impacts people, how the Holy Spirit uses that. So here you have an 87-year-old man with Alzheimer's. Our society, of course, doesn't put a lot of value in his life. But God used him to be a witness. He used him to reflect his glory in that very moment. And that's his will for all of our lives, no matter how old we are, no matter what we've been through or going through. He wants to reflect His glory. Because really, our whole lives are about worshiping God. That's the primary reason we're here on earth, is to worship the Lord. If we get up every morning, we should say, Okay, how am I going to worship uh, God today? Uh, we worship Him in the way that we think, and the way that we uh, behave. Uh, uh, we're much like the moon. The moon doesn't have any light within itself, but it reflects the sun. And we're to reflect God. So as God shines His light into our life, we reflect it back out to the world. And the world, through the Spirit, understands that there is a God that loves them and cares for them and wants to have a relationship with Him. And that's what we're going to explore today as we continue in our series, Learning to Live like Jesus, studying passages from the book of Matthew this summer, and it's been a great time 
as we've looked at God's Word and heard what He has to teach us. I want to talk about, of course, worship. And here is a working definition of worship. Worship is living for God. Your whole life is living for Him, reflecting Him, satisfying Him by responding to Him, by obeying Him. And sacrifice is always a part of worship. You can't have worship without sacrifice. God wants us to sacrifice. We see the Old Testament sacrificial system. We see passages in the New Testament that talk about sacrifice. So there's three types of worship. There's sacrificial private worship. That's just one-on-one with God, you and God. That takes sacrifice. Sacrificial corporate worship, that's when you're worshiping with just another person or in this setting. That takes sacrifice. And sacrificial living worship. Your whole life is a worship services we'll talk about, and that takes sacrifice as well. So open your Bibles. We're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 26. We have some introductory verses here that give us the context of this passage. Uh, Verse 1 says, When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So this is Wednesday of the Passion Week. It gives us insights into what's going behind the scenes in regards to people who are trying to kill Christ. And the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Passover, there were two million people in Jerusalem, pilgrims that came from all over the world. Uh, They didn't want Jesus around. Because, first of all, he blasphemed, he claimed he was God. But more importantly, they wanted to maintain their power and influence. And Jesus Christ was starting to erode that, so they wanted to get rid of him. So let's look at our main passage today, starting in verse 6. It says, Well, Jesus was in Bethany, that wasn't far from Jerusalem, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. Now, Simon the leper. If you were a leper in that day, you didn't live inside the city. You didn't have a home. You were contagious. You were an outcast. You lived in a leper colony. So we have to assume that Simon the leper no longer had leprosy, that he had been healed by Jesus Christ. Most likely he was showing, or throwing that is, a party in honor of Jesus Christ, celebrating what Jesus Christ had done for him. Now there were other people there at that party know that Lazarus was there and Jesus Christ rose, uh, raised him from the dead. And then we also have uh, Mary and Martha, his sisters, and their lives have been transformed by Christ. And he had all the disciples and uh, who knows who else was there, but it was a wonderful gathering. And I don't know about you, but it means a lot to me that Jesus liked parties. Anybody like a party out there? <laughs> yeah. Jesus loved parties. We see him Many times at parties, talking with people, parties with people who would be considered sinners in that day, parties with other people uh, who, again, were followers of his. Uh, You can just imagine Jesus Christ just shooting the breeze with people, just loving people, encouraging people. Uh, That's the kind of God we we serve, uh, and we see God reflected 
of course, in Jesus Christ, who is God in human flesh. Well, uh, something very unique happened at this party. We read in verse 7, A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, we talked about the fact that whenever you're studying through the Gospels and you come upon a story, you need to see if there are parallel passages, the same story told in other Gospels. And this is included in three Gospels. Of course, Matthew, Mark 14, and John 12. So you want to read all three passages to get all the details about this particular story. So let's go over to John 12, and we learn more about this woman. We actually learn her name. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard. Now, there's a lot of Marys in the Bible. I think there's four or five. And uh, Mary, again, was the sister of Lazarus. Uh, she's mentioned three different times in relationship uh, to uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, she was there when Lazarus was raised uh, from the dead. Uh, she's mentioned also uh, in this particular passage and another passage uh, that we're going to look at. But there's no doubt that Mary had a passion for God. Mary was fully committed, lordship-oriented toward Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that in this passage. So she took a pint of Pernard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, I just love uh, to unpack stories in Scripture. So you got this party going on, and everybody's gathered around, and they're laying, reclining, you know, they're on their elbow, they didn't have chairs, around the table. And Mary uh, was there, and uh, she brought a vase of uh, perfume, a vase. And this particular perfume was very, very expensive. Uh, it was uh, from the spikenard plant in the Himalayan mountains in India. And they would take it and they would put it in kind of like a marble vase. And then they would seal it. And this particular perfume, we learned, was worth 300 denarii. Now, a denarii is what a person would typically work, uh, earn from a day's wages. So... If you have 365 days in a year and you take 52 out for the Sabbath, that brings you down to 313 days. Well, this costs 300 denarii. So this is like a full year's wage. Think about what you make every year. Well, that's what she was giving to Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? She poured it all out, I believe, on Jesus Christ. What a tremendous sacrifice she made on behalf of the Lord. So what she did is she broke off the top of the vase and saw it was sealed and protected as it uh, was sold around the world. But she broke it off and she poured it out. An expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet. In other accounts, we read his head. I would assume she poured it both places. Uh, but in, traditionally, in that day, they would just... Uh, uh, anoint a person who was the special guest, who the party was being held in honor of. And, and so they would just kind of, you know, put some perfume on his head. But, but she pours the whole thing out on his head and 
his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, this is very, very unusual. Number one, that she would, a woman would do this, uh, anoint the person. That's the first unusual thing. The second unusual thing is that she would anoint him with all the perfume. The third unusual thing is that she would let down her hair. Now, you never did that in that culture. In fact, I was talking with an individual after service, and he told me about a news story that came out of Iran, I believe, and they have Muslim law over there. And a man saw through the window a woman who had her hair down, and she was killed for that. Unbelievable, isn't it? Uh, but again, they have very strict laws. And in that day, you just didn't let your hair down. But Mary didn't care because she was just overcome with worship for God. So she let her hair down. She didn't do that type of thing, but she didn't care. And she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Ladies, can you just imagine taking your most expensive bottle of perfume and just pouring it on the bed? Can you imagine the aroma that would fill your room? Can you imagine how it would permeate every space? So let's just take ourselves back there, okay? We're laying around the table. And Mary takes this very expensive perfume. She breaks off the top. She pours it on Jesus' head and his feet, and she lets down her hair, and she wipes his feet, which again, I mean, that was the servant's job to wash someone's feet, and here she's doing it with perfume. And I mean, oh. What a beautiful picture of just an extravagant an extravagant showing of her love for the Lord. An extravagant sacrifice. Over the top. Unbelievable. Those who were there who could understand what was going on, they, they were stunned. I mean, everybody was stunned for different reasons. But those who really understood what was happening, I mean, what a beautiful moment, one of the most powerful illustrations we have of worship in the Bible. And this is why it's so important that we take time to think and reflect upon this. Mary was totally sold out for Jesus Christ. She, she, she risked her reputation in order to do this. She sacrificed her financial security. I don't know who gave it to her. Maybe her parents gave it to her, somebody else, or maybe she had been saving up to buy it. But it came from somewhere. She wasn't known as a wealthy woman, so this was her nest egg. But she was sacrificing it for Jesus Christ to show how much she loved and adored Him and how much she worshipped Him. As we think to ourselves, can we think of a time when we have shown extravagant love for Jesus Christ. Can you think of a time when you went over the top? Can you think of a time you didn't care what people thought? You just wanted to worship the Lord. 
Maybe you raise your hands and you're not used to doing that. And, and you said, I don't care what people think, but I just am so overcome with love for God at this particular point. Or maybe you raise your voice. You never do that because you don't think you have a very good voice and you think people will turn and say, shut up, you know. <laughs> no, but you just raise your voice. Because you love the Lord so much. Remember David when he came back from battling and was overcome with joy. And, and he decided to take off pretty much all his clothes, you know, and just had a little bit around his area. And he was dancing all over the place. And his wife wasn't very happy, but who cares, right? Yeah, and I'm not encouraging people to dance in their underwear here at Springbrook. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> what I'm saying is, hey... Let's have those moments of extravagance in our worship to the Lord. Whatever that means to you. Whatever that means, just going beyond what you usually do. Because God is so good. And God has been so kind to us in so many ways. Mary's life reflected this verse. Romans chapter 12. Remember our study earlier in the year? Romans 12. Christians. The Lordship decision saying, Jesus, you're going to be the center of my life. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So in view of God's mercy, Paul is saying, in view of everything that God has done for you, that He created you, that He sent Jesus Christ to save you, that He's watching over you, that He provides for you, that He blesses you, and He's promised you an incredible eternity. In light of all that, this is your responsibility. This is your spiritual act of worship that you commit your whole life to God, that every day you wake up to worship God, that, that God is at the center of your life. That's what we need to do. We live to worship. We need to make Jesus the center. And it's, it's a challenge every day because of our sinful nature. Either we're the center of our lives, fulfilling our needs, and we're just thinking about everything that we want to do, or we have God at the center of our lives. And that's how we approach life. And, and we certainly can take care of our needs and things like that, but everything emanates from the principle that we live by that God is who I live for. He's put me on this earth to worship Him. This is living worship. This is where your life is a, a worship service 24-7 because every time you respond to God in the way that He wants you to, you live life the way God intended through His power. You can't do it on your own. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, everything you do is worshiping the Lord, every thought that you have, many of us, many of us, you know, we're good Christians and things like that, but if you were to look into our thought lives, you know, we're hateful, we're envious, we're jealous, and we think, well, that stuff is okay. Well, no, it's not okay. It's sin. So every time you're, you're thinking in a godly way, you're glorifying God. So when I'm up here teaching you with the right motive, through the power of the Spirit, I'm worshiping God. And then when I get in my car and I, I drive to the picnic and I, I have godly thoughts, thoughts that are what God wants me to have. I'm worshiping God. 
And then I enjoy some good food and don't eat too much. I'm worshiping God. If I eat too much, I'm not worshiping God, all right? And uh, then when I go home and my wife asks me to do something, and I do it (laughs) out of service, I'm worshiping God. You see, friends, everything you do can be worshiping the Lord when you're doing it with the right spirit. You want to please Him and live life the way he intended. So I don't care how bad your job is. And I know some of you are struggling in your jobs and it's so tough to have a good attitude because you're, you're just surrounded by negative people. And some of you don't have a job and that's, that's even more challenging. And, but you can make that a worship experience. Any job can be a worship experience because you're doing it for Jesus. And I know it's tough. It's I'm not saying this is easy at all. But I'm saying that's the orientation we need to have. Romans 12. All our life is a worship service. Let's look at the primary thing we see really in this passage about Mary is the financial sacrifice she made. She lived out Matthew 6.21. It says, For where where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is. She put her treasure where her heart was. Her heart was devoted to Jesus Christ. And so she sacrificed financially to show Him her love. And and God knows us very well. He knows the way we spend our money reflects our values, which is really important to us. So if we have ourselves at the center of our lives, we're going to spend spend money on the things that we really like. And we're not going to honor God. But if we have God at the center of life, uh, we're going to honor Him in the way we manage the resources uh, that He has entrusted to us. Look at these givers uh, in Second Corinthians. Paul is writing to the people of Corinth, and he's saying, Listen, I want to tell you about some people that you need to model your lives after, the people in Macedonia. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Remember, this power to live the Christian life in this way only comes from God. So if you want to live in this way, which I hope you do, you've got to be praying constantly for Jesus to live through you and the Holy Spirit to empower you because that's the only way it's going to happen. Try it on your own. You're just going to get frustrated and burned out. So the grace that God gave the Macedonian churches, it just wasn't they were super Christians. They, they were trusting God's power. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy. This is a very interesting passage of Scripture because it puts things together we normally wouldn't. So if I'm going through a severe trial... I don't naturally overflow with joy. I'm overflowing with a lot of other things, but not joy. But, but, but here they were being persecuted. Uh, their, their jobs were difficult. Uh, their relationships were difficult. Uh, people were constantly trying to make things challenging for them because they were Christ followers. But out of that, they had this overflowing joy. Why? Because their lives were centered in Christ. Out of their extreme poverty, well up in rich generosity. Again, that doesn't go together. People who are extremely poor, dirt poor, you don't think extreme generosity. But again, because Jesus was the center and Jesus was moving in their life, they were just so grateful for all God had done for them. They wanted to give. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. There you see it again. Now, wait a second. They gave as much as they were able, so they gave everything that they could. But then they gave beyond. How do you give beyond your ability? Well, that's faith, right? 
and say, God, I don't know where this money's coming from, but you're leading me to give it. So I'm going to give it, and I'm going to see what, what you do. I got a wonderful email from a precious family uh, in this church. And uh, it just came out of the blue, and they said, oh, we've got to tell you this story. Uh, we decided to increase our giving by 5%. And, and you know what happened? Uh, we had three different bills, the cable bill, the insurance bill, the electrical bill. And within a short period of time, uh, it was cut like by $200, the combination of those bills. On top of that, our daughter and son started to go to church. And, and they were just amazed. They, they, were, they were just rejoicing. Well, that's, happen, that's what happens when we obey God. He blesses us in different ways, but He blesses us. That's a great thing about God. I say it all the time. I mean, we're supposed to obey Him. But when we obey Him, He gives us a bonus. He doesn't have to give us a bonus of blessings, but He gives it. Isn't that cool? I just, I just love that, man. That is so cool. Well, they gave beyond their ability. As you know, that the average American gives about 2% to charity. And the average evangelical gives maybe 2.5% to charity in the church. Now, what is the deal with that? Are we the same as the world? After we know the living God? After we know the role He plays in this world, after we know that He created us to love us and so that we could worship Him, after we know that Jesus Christ gave His life in order that we might live and be raised from our dead condition, that we know that Jesus Christ represents us and that God is there loving and providing for us and blessing us, and that we have an awesome future and we only give the same amount to God as the world gives to general charities? Is there something wrong with that? Yes, there is. Because our heart indicates where, or the way we spend our treasure is, indicates where our heart is. And it means that we're not fully engaged in worship. I don't want to be a two-percenter. I don't want to be like everybody else because Jesus has changed my life. I want to be a 10%er, a 12%er. I want to give in the way that God has given to me. We all need to think, okay, you know, how am I giving to the Lord? And does it reflect extravagant giving? Does it reflect what God wants me to give? That takes sacrifice, doesn't it? It takes sacrifice to, to tithe. It takes sacrifice to give sacrificially because, you know, we just don't know how the bills are going to be met sometimes, but you put your faith in Him. That's sacrificial worship. It costs you something to worship God. If you're not, again, uh, needing anything to worship God, if you're not sacrificing, you're not worshiping. All right? Let's look at private worship. Uh, uh, Mary was very interesting uh, in her worship. A uh, great example for us. Because here we see her kneeling as she anoints Jesus uh, with this perfume and she wipes his feet with her hair. 
And then uh, when Jesus came to raise Lazarus from the dead, she was kneeling before him at that time. And here we're going to see that she's kneeling before him. When he coming over for a meal, Mary and Martha invited him over. And Martha's working hard in the kitchen. You guys know the story. She's working hard in the kitchen, and she's always worried about all the details and everything that needs to be done. And Mary, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she's thinking, where is Mary? What is going on? Or you guys have all had that experience. Like, where are the kids? Where is my husband? <laughs> You know, what are they thinking? Don't they know what we're trying to do here? We're having people over. We have to create a state of perfection. So, uh, but Mary's nowhere to be found. And she's out there, you know, listening to Jesus. It's like, you know, she's sent a lot of different, you know, nonverbal cues, I'm sure. You know, kind of walking through. <laughs> you know, dinner's almost ready. And, and what does Jesus say to her? <laughs> Jesus says, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things. Boy, doesn't that describe us? Oh, my. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is so important. I'll tell you what, friends. The most important thing about worship is not giving, it's not service. It's not good deeds. The most important thing about worship is the time you spend one-on-one with God. That's the most important thing. Because you need to cultivate that relationship with Jesus. You need to spend time with Him. You need to enjoy Him. You need to learn from Him. And that takes time. And I tell you, that's, that's one of the most precious commodities we have, right? And we wake up and we think about the thousand things we need to do and we spend half our day figuring out what are we going to do and what we're not going to do. The day's half over. Okay, now I've determined what I'm going to do. (laughs) We're all stressed out. And the last thing I have time for is time with Jesus. Right? Hey, I live there. You know, I get here to church and uh, have some time for my quiet times. Oh, man, i got a lot of things to do here. And I tell you, if I'm forced into it and I'm not... You know, abiding in Christ, and I, I can do a half-hour task and get something done for, for Jesus, or I can spend half-hour with Him, getting to know Him better, I'm going to do the half-hour task. Because that makes me feel better. Uh, you know, I need to continue to grow in this area, obviously, and I am, but it's tough. It's, it's tough to spend that time because we don't feel like we're making any progress, but it's the most important time. The more stress you have in your life, the more problems, the more burdens, the more time you need to spend with Jesus. Say, man, I don't I don't have that time. Well, you can make the time. Because I tell you what, if you spend more time with Jesus, you're going to spend less time being anxious and stressed out and spinning your wheels. Okay? Spend time with Jesus. Get into His Word. You know? No matter how long you've walked with Christ, you can always go deeper. Read and, and meditate and study and, and journal about your emotional life. We've got a great series coming up uh, in September, The emo- Emotional Healthy Spirituality. Oh, it's talking about a lot of the things I'm talking about right now. Uh, cultivating that relationship with Christ. Uh, it's going to be a church-wide campaign. The small groups are going to be doing the same material, the youth ministry, uh, uh, we as we worship together. But, boy, I tell you, I'm really excited about it. 
uh, because it teaches us that knowing Jesus is more important than anything in life. And everything flows from that relationship. So if you're not spending any time with Jesus, no wonder you're stressed out, no wonder you're, you don't have any strength and you know, you're overwhelmed. And Now, when you do spend time with Jesus and cultivate the relation, doesn't mean your life is going to be roses, but you're going to have coping abilities you never imagined that you uh, could have. Uh, so that's so important. Now, um, let me jump ahead here. Uh, Hebrews 13.15. Hebrews 13.15. This is corporate worship, all right? Uh, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. That's what we're doing this morning, right? Didn't we have a great time of worship? Just lifting our voices to the Lord corporately. It's a sacrifice of praise, and it involves sacrifice, right? When I was on uh, vacation... Uh, what I do on some Sundays is I blitz. I go to like four or five churches on one morning. I don't really go to the churches. You know, I stop in, I pick up material. I'm looking for ideas and inspiration, and I'll listen to the worship team, or I'll listen to the message, or I'll pick up the CD. And so I'm just, you know, like a roadrunner. <laughs> from church to church. I don't know what it is, but uh, I've been doing it for years. Uh, but I tell you what, you know, some Sundays, you know, I was... I can understand why people don't come to church sometimes because it's so tempting. There's so much to do. You think, oh, man, if I get up early like at 7 o'clock on Sunday and I work till like noon, the time maybe normally I would give the church, I'd get so much done. And I'd feel so much better about my life, you know. And I tell you what, when we have people and, and yourselves and people outside in the community, churches are not competing with one another. One another. Churches are competing with everything else you could do with your time. Right? So it really takes sacrifice to say, hey, I'm going to block this time out. I'm going to attend church. Let me ask you a question. Why did you come to church today? Think about that. What was the primary reason? You came for a lot of reasons. What was the primary reason? Was the primary reason uh, the worship music, the singing together, you love that, that just ministers to you in such a deep way? Or uh, maybe it was the message. You love to study God's Word, and, and that really encourages you and inspires you and helps you throughout the week. Or possibly it was just uh, being with friends. You know, looking forward to the picnic and seeing the people that you haven't seen and uh, catching up with them. Or maybe it was just those God moments. You, you look forward to the moment in a service when you just feel the Holy Spirit's presence. You yeah, the Holy Spirit's here. I tell you what, those are all the wrong reasons to come to church. Sorry. (laughs) You know the reason why you should be here this morning? is because we're throwing a party for God. Okay? In His honor. We've all assembled here. We've all put this at the top of our schedules because God has said, Hey, every week I want you to come and throw a party for me. I want you to come and lift your voices to me. I want you to study my word. I want you to be with other people and learn from them. It's all about me, God says. And it is all about God. But so often we think it's all about us. So if you have the right orientation and come in the church, hey, it's all about God. So you get to the worship music, the most 
important part and you don't know some of the songs and you don't like some of the songs, who cares? You sing them anyway because it's not for you. It's for God. And then you get to the message and Harrison is so flat today. He's uninspiring. He has nothing new to say or I've heard it before. It does not matter because it's not about you. It's about God. You're here for Him. Not so you can learn some new things about the Bible or be inspired. And then you go out after church and your friends are not there. Or your friends are talking to somebody else. Or they don't minister you the right way. It doesn't matter. You're not here for your friends. You're here for God. So go find somebody who needs some love and attention and love on them. And there's no God moments. Who cares? You're here for God. It's His moment. You're here to fulfill His desires to be worshipped. Do you get what I'm saying? Amen? Amen. And we need to be reminded about that because all of us so easily fall into all those other reasons. And we go, oh, that was just a lousy experience. You know, I didn't meet my needs. God doesn't care about meeting your needs in that way. But again, the bonus. (laughs) You know, if we just came here and it was just kind of a flat experience, we should come every week. It doesn't inspire us. It doesn't help us. It doesn't make feel us warm inside. We come every week to worship the Almighty God. But at the same time, God blesses us anyway. He gives us the bonus of great music that inspires us and messages that teach us and friends that enfold us and those God moments. But don't count on it because you didn't come for those things. All right. Thank you. Now, this is great. Okay, we've talked about all this. Now we get to the disciples, all right? Uh, Verse 8. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. When they saw what Mary had done, they were upset. Why this waste, they asked, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Pick up the clue phone, guys! Don't you realize what just happened here? Don't you see this unbelievable act of worship? Now, we get a little more insight in John 12. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, we know Judas. Judas was the most intelligent of the bunch, really, when you think about it. I mean, all these other guys, oh, yeah, we're going to build this big political kingdom, and Jesus is going to be the earthly ruler. And Jesus was said it many times. No, guys, that's not the case. Judas was listening. He says, yeah, I'm out of this game, man. I mean, this, Jesus is going nowhere but to die. So I'm going to get my money and run. And he looks at this perfume, and he says, oh, what's that? Of course, he says, oh, we should have given it to the poor. Well, he'd take his top 10% off the top, right? It was all about... Him, But the other disciples were thinking in this way as well. Not that they were going to take the money, but they really did want to give it to the poor. So Jesus was aware of what everybody was thinking, no matter who talked. And Jesus, I don't know, if I was Jesus, I said, throw these guys out. Throw these bums out. <laughs> Here's this 
beautiful moment of worship. Just get out of here. Let me enjoy it. Let us all enjoy it. We'll understand what's going on here, and I'll explain it to you later. But no, he's so patient, right? Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. So Jesus is always talking about caring for the poor. But in this one instance, this is very special what she did. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Mary understood something was going down. I don't know how much she understood, but she knew it was a very important time in Jesus' life. And while the other disciples were fighting about who's going to be first, she was thinking, I've got to help Jesus because he's about to face something very challenging. Wow. Then Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of of her. He spoke that at that very moment and here 2,000 years later. What are we doing? We're telling a story. And billions of people have read the story in Scripture. And it's been taught many times like it is now. And it's in all kinds of books. This extravagant display of worship still inspires us today. We look in John 4:23, and this is who God is looking for. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is on the outlook for true worshipers, which implies the fact that there aren't many out there, right? If He's seeking, I mean, if He could find them in every street corner, He wouldn't be looking for them. But there's just a small minority of people who are true worshipers, who worship with spirit from the heart and the mind, the truth, and who seek God out and who make God the center of their lives and they give to God sacrificially and glorify Him on a weekly basis through a corporate worship service and live for Him on a daily basis and spend that private time with Him. And I'm just asking all of you, as you go throughout this day, and I encourage you to take these message notes and uh, meditate on these verses and say, how am I doing? Don't get on a big guilt trip. If you need to repent, repent. But just say, where can I improve? Where can I become more worship? Do I need more time with God? Do I need more consistency in terms of being there for that God party every week? Do I need to reconsider what I'm giving to the Lord and making Him more of a priority? Whatever it is. In fact, these are the next steps you'll see underneath your uh, name on the communication card. If you feel so led, just circle one of them. It's just a way of you saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'll meditate, memorize in Romans 12.1. I'll invest more time and cultivating my personal relationship with God. I'll make weekend worship a priority this fall. I'll increase my worship giving to God. Just circle one of those. And it's just a way of saying to God, hey, this is what I want to do in response to your word as it's been taught. Let's pray together. Lord, what an incredible opportunity we have to worship you. 
Lord, we're, we're so far from where you'd like us to be. And you know that. You understand that. And you're full of grace and forgiveness. But Lord, just every day you want us to move a little closer to you. And I pray that as we walk out of this place, and as we reflect on these passages, that we would say, okay, this is what I want to do, Lord. I pray you'd empower me to do something I don't normally do. I pray that you would work in a new way in my life so that I can reflect you like the moon reflects the sun, so I can be a witness for you like my dad was at Good Shepherd Hospital this week. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if we get our ushers come forward at this time,